right, open your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews. Get Hebrews chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 4. What we're doing is we're combining our theme for the year is come boldly. And this is, I told Pastor Nathan yesterday, this might be our favorite, my favorite graphic that we've ever done. Because isn't that us? It's the little child come boldly, coming boldly into the throne room, coming boldly to see the king. And so every month I'm trying to bring a message on our theme, come boldly. I didn't in May uh, because I was gone for two weeks. But here we are, the first Sunday in June, heading into the summer season. And this morning I want to bring to you a message on come boldly for your church. Come boldly for your church. How are we going to pray for Grace Baptist Church? How are we going to pray for this ministry? How are we going to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ? Uh, we, we read the letter from our missionaries, the Odysons, in New Guinea uh, today. And um, the, the Divins, um, Josh and Jenny Divins, have been to New Guinea. So I had Josh talk to us a little bit about what it's like there. Well, they're going to have the same struggles in a certain sense that we are going to have here. So we'll know better how to pray for the Odysons. I hope that you've been praying for Brenda Hayes. Brother Hayes, Herb Hayes, passed away this past week. Um, I, I was thinking about it this morning. Can you imagine? You know, what, did, what did the Apostle John say? What is our glory? Even you, or maybe it's either John or Paul, even you standing around us at the throne of God. Can you imagine Brother Hayes standing at the throne of God with thousands of Filipinos around him who he's led, for, led to Christ? That's just, it's just awesome. So we're not, we're not sad for Brother Hayes. But his children, his four children, their families, and his wife, Brenda, she's just going to stay on the field. She's going to keep serving God. And, of course, we're going to keep supporting her. Amen. She's just going to keep serving the Lord. But how are we going to pray for them? How are we going to pray for these ministries? So this morning we're looking at come boldly for your church, and we're going to be taking it from our text in Galatians. But let's start in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest... That is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. All right? So uh, we need to see Jesus, don't we? We do need to see Jesus. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. After looking at these great heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer, who is the Holy Spirit, doesn't matter who penned it, amen, the Holy Spirit wrote it. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Wherefore... Seeing we, are, uh, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, don't be confused about this. I'm sure we've all heard people say that they're watching us. If you had a chance to look at Jesus or look at suffering, what would you look at? Jesus. Those people are looking at Jesus. We're surrounded by the witness they left for us in Hebrews chapter 11. All right. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. When you look at people making a race car, they take away everything that's not necessary so it'll go faster. When I was running track, we'd wear ankle weights to, and you'd run as fast as you could with the ankle weights and you'd took the, take those weights off and you'd feel like you could fly. And the idea is, is removing those weights. We're going to run the race with patience that is set before us. How are we going to do that? Look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. Your salvation was written by Jesus Christ, and it's going to be finished by Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad you don't have to finish your own salvation? Amen. He's the author and finisher. And, of course, that's what the book of Galatians is about. So now, look back at, Gal at Hebrews chapter 4. And again, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Are you seeing Him? Uh, you see, that's the idea. We're seeing Him. Our, we're focused on Christ. Now, I don't mean that you see Him physically. When you picture Jesus Christ, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on this one. You know, don't, don't raise your hands. But when you picture Christ, how many of you picture Him as, you know, kind of a, an effeminate guy with long blonde hair and sad blue eyes? That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was not an Aryan. Okay? He didn't look like he was from Shelby County. All right? 
Not that guys have long hair and are effeminate from Shelby County. That's not what I was saying. Although we do have some. Now, look what it says. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. What did we look at last week in the book of Galatians? There were those who wanted to go back. They wanted to go back. So the idea is when we look at Jesus, we won't go back. We'll hold fast our profession. What have we professed? Remember what the Bible says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So here, Jesus Christ is keeping it. He's the author and finisher of our faith, right? And yet, when we look at Him, that'll keep us, even though we can't lose our faith, we can't lose that salvation, it's gonna, if we're looking at Him, we keep our focus on Him, it's going to keep us from going back to the world in our lives. Amen. All right? Why? Look at verse 15. For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Jesus Christ knows what you are feeling. It's not just a cognitive faith. It's not just a faith based on principles and laws. He knows how you feel. Isn't that awesome? You can go to him. He knows how you feel. His family rejected him. His family thought he was crazy. His mother wasn't sure that he was, that he was sane. He, she came and looked for him and wanted to lay hold on him and bring him home. So look at what it says. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. That's who we're looking at. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we need your help. We need your grace. We need your mercy. This world, this world, it, it, it's all-consuming, Lord. It, it assaults our consciences. We turn on the news and we hear about the depravity of, of the world. Uh, as we were talking about in the Sunday school hour, movie stars coming out uh, as people who would be uh, in violation of your, of your principles. And the way that that, it can just impact us. Father, help us. We need your grace. We need your mercy. Now, Father, today, as we're looking at your word, what you have for us from your word is you are describing to us what the ministry is like, what believers can be like. So, Father, help us to learn from you today how to pray for each other, how to pray for your church. This is not our church. This is your church. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of it. So, Father, help us today to know how to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. How are we going to pray for this work? Now, I know that you care about it. I know that you care about it because you put time into it. You're faithful. You give money. I know that you care about it. But if we're going to come boldly to the throne of grace for this work, how are we going to do it? Go with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. It always amazes me how God's word is always right on time. That where God has us in a text, how often it just fits. Just exactly what we need. Let's look at our text. It's, we're going to read verses, uh, Galatians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 8 through 20. So follow along with me. Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. So we all serve something in our past. We looked at that last week. Now look at verse 9. But now... After that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days, and months, and times, and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? 
For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children of whom I travail and birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. How about that? Here's the Apostle Paul writing to this church at Galatia, and we're going to learn some things. So, number one, how are we going to pray for our church? How are we going to pray for our church? Well, first of all, we need to be a church that honors Christ. Would you all agree with that? And again, we don't have time to go there. Um, one of these days I'm going to go back to the seven churches, and we're going to revisit that so we can understand again who we are. But the church at Laodicea that he describes, it's not the church in Laodicea. It's the church of the Laodiceans. It's their church. Now, I like it when people say, my church. I like that. There, there's some ownership there. Grace Baptist Church is my church. I love this church. And I understand what you mean by that. And this is, and I hope you never stop saying that because you belong to it. Amen? You're a part of it. But it's Jesus Christ's church. And so if we are going to honor Christ, then the church has to be what Christ wants it to be, not what we want it to be. Now, here's the good thing. When our desires for the church become the same as Christ desires for the church, that's when it's beautiful. That's when it's wonderful. So we need to be a church that honors Christ. We need to be obedient to the Great Commission. So how many of you would agree we need to be obedient to the Great Commission? So let's look at the Great Commission. Go to Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Might want to keep a marker there in Galatians because we'll be coming back. Of course, your Bibles probably just fall open to Galatians at this point. Mark chapter 16. Look at verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. All right, that's a simple formulation of the Great Commission. Go and preach the gospel to every creature. All right, so here's the deal. This is, this is not just for the apostles. This is not just for the disciples. This is for the church. This is for all of us. We're supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, I understand we can't all go to every creature. How'd you like to go and try and talk to six billion people? You can't do that. But that's the responsibility of the church. The responsibility of the church is to go and to send people into all the world to do what? To build houses for Habitat for Humanity. No. What are we supposed to do? Preach the gospel to every creature. Now, if while you're preaching the gospel, you can build a house, praise God. There's nothing wrong with that. If while you're preaching the gospel, you know, we have people who are uh, uh, doctors who will, who they'll, they'll take time away from their practice and go to the mission field to help people who are sick. And while they're helping them, they preach the gospel to them. That's great. When I was in, in Togo, West Africa, uh, we stayed in the house of a mission agency. It was called the Christoffel Blinded Mission. It was from Germany, and it was to help blind people. It was an evangelical organization to help blind people in Togo. There was a girl there who was working there. I can't think of her name all of a sudden. But she had worked in that house for 14 years as the housekeeper. So every morning she'd walk in. The, the, the Togo was a colony of France, so they had the most unbelievable bread. She'd walk to the market and bring us fresh bread every morning and fresh fruit. And that's what we had. And so I asked her, we were all, Brother Figali, myself, Brother Clayton, um, and I think James Zinker was there with us, four of us, and we were all preaching at different churches that morning. So I was preaching there in Togo, and I asked her to come to church with me. She came, and she got saved. It was the first time she had ever heard the gospel. And she worked for an evangelical mission for 14 years. <clears throat> think about that. Now, how many of you think that mission had its mission backwards right so now praise god if you can help people see but they need to see spiritually much more important than they need to see physically and so we need to understand what the great commission is it is primarily preaching the gospel but it's not something oh i'm praying that god will bring somebody across my path 
How many of you have ever heard that said before? Really? Somebody's just going to... One time in my life have I had people come to me and say, can you tell me how to be saved? And that was the Schmidt-Myers. That's it. That's the only time. They came and visited the church. They called me and they said, we'd like an appointment with you. And I said, sure. So they come, they sit in my office, and they, I said, well, what can I do for you? They said, well, at the end of your talk, you, said, you asked this question. If you died today, are you sure that you'd go to heaven? And we're not sure. Can you tell us? And so after I got up off the floor... I gave them the gospel and they got saved. That's the only time in my life somebody's ever come to me and asked me how to be saved. That's it. God brought them across my path. But that's not the way that we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to go to them. We're supposed to go to them. So how are we going to pray for our church? We're going to pray that we will go. When's the last time you went specifically to someone for the purpose of giving them the gospel? Now we know how to pray, don't we? Lord, give me the boldness to go. To go. All right? Then look at Matthew chapter 28. The Great Commission is given in three places in your Bible. This is the most familiar, I think. Matthew chapter 28. Look at verse 18. You know, I don't know if there's anything, and of course, this is not about me, but I don't know if there's anything I enjoy more than this right here teaching God's Word. finding out what God has said and telling it to somebody else. I'm glad you guys are here to hear it. It would be a bummer to stand up. When I, my dad started his church, or Jesus Christ Church, there in, uh, in Syracuse, New York. No, it was in uh, Wallingford, Connecticut, when he started the church there. Um, there were times, we started in our house, and he would get up and preach, and it was my mom, and she'd play the piano really poorly. And then dad would preach, and often it was to my sister Debbie, my brother Bill, and me. The two younger sisters weren't born yet. I'm so glad that's not what I'm doing. Amen? Because Lydia and Jacob don't listen when I preach. Um, now, look at this. Verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. I, I, you know what we ought to do after we read that? Because oh. so, what he's about to tell us, He's going to give us His power to go and accomplish. Because I know, uh, like, like after that last verse, Matthew or Mark 16, 15, how many of you already knew that verse? Right? And so when I say, pray that God will give you power to go, here's what most of us do, because most of us don't like speaking in public. We don't like confronting people. Here's what we do. We go, oh, yeah, okay. Now look at all power. Is given unto me. He'll help you. See, all power is given unto me. Look at verse 19. Go ye therefore, based on his power, go ye therefore, then what are we supposed to do? And teach all nations. So our message, it must include preaching, which is confronting the sin, which is boldly proclaiming the truth of the Word of God. It, it must include that, but it also includes teaching. And I think that we have separated the two. There's preaching where the preacher stands up and yells at people. And there's teaching where the very nice person sits on a stool and shares. Well, the gospel is the combination of both of those things. The Bible says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgressions. Jesus Christ stood and cried in the temple, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's a boldness in the way that we proclaim it. But there's also substance to it. It's teaching. It's comparing Scripture with Scripture. It's bringing people to an understanding of the Word of God. It's preaching and teaching. The Great Commission includes both of those things. Then what are we supposed to teach them? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. So remember, and this is not a message on Baptist doctrine or Baptist history, but it's in the text. Is baptism a part of the Great Commission? So we ought to do it God's way, right? We ought to do it God's way. How does sprinkling show the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? It doesn't. You teach them the truth, they receive Christ, and then they're baptized aware, aware of what they're being baptized for. There's no baptizing of babies. It's a... a, violation, that is a violation 
of the Great Commission. Then look at what it says in verse 20. Teaching them. What are we seeing again? What are we seeing again? You begin with teaching, then you baptize them, but you're not done. Then you continue teaching them. What do you teach them? Teaching them to, what does it say? Observe all things whatsoever I have commanded. And then look, who who did he command it to? You. How are you going to do that? And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. He's with us. So here is what, how are we going to pray for Grace Baptist Church? Pray that we honor Christ. Pray that we are obedient to the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? We're going out into all the world and preaching the gospel. And we're teaching people the truth of the Word of God. We're baptizing them. You, You can't have the Great Commission without baptism. Is that right? We're baptizing them. And if you haven't followed the Lord and believers' baptism, after you trusted Christ, you are being disobedient. You are living in direct disobedience to God's Word right now. Amen? So if you've not been scripturally baptized, you need to do that. You need to pray that the Lord will give you the courage and the strength, the boldness to submit to His Word. And then, here's the hard part. All that part is just the beginning. Now I'm supposed to teach you to observe everything that He said. And that's why we've got to be together so much. And that's why I can't do it by myself. That's why we have the discipleship ministry of Grace Baptist Church. Nowhere does it say, pastors do this. This is for every believer. We are all supposed to be doing this. But there's a response to that. There's a response to that. So now we know how to pray. We know how to pray. Let's go to the last giving of the Great Commission. Go to Luke chapter 24. Are you all enjoying this as much as I am? (laughs) I like it. Dalton Robertson says, "I, I need to hear from you. I need affirmation. I'm insecure. That's what Dalton always says. Look at Luke 24. This is after the resurrection of Christ. He's appeared to the disciples on the Emmaus Road. He's eaten with His disciples. He made them breakfast. That's pretty cool. And then look at what what He says in verse 46. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among, among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. So what does a witness do? A witness tells what he's seen. And that's what you are. You are called to be a witness of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A witness of what you have experienced. You're a witness of your salvation. You're a witness of your baptism. You're a witness of your learning to observe all things. So if I'm talking to Nick, and I'm let's say that I'm discipling Nick, and I did... And I'm talking to him about coming to church on Sunday nights. All right? Now, we have this service on Sunday nights. Tonight, we have all these meetings. We're trying to keep the church moving in the direction and all of us having the same mind. And and Nick says, you know what? I don't want to. I know that I'm supposed to, but I don't want to. You know what I say to him? Man, I know. I didn't either. I know exactly what you're talking about. I've witnessed that. I've experienced... How many of you have ever experienced not wanting to come back to church. You've experienced that. But when you come and you get involved, then it's a blessing. It's an encouragement. You're being obedient. Pastor, are you saying if I don't come back to church on Sunday night that I'm not obedient to the Great Commission? Well, I'm not saying that, but you're not participating in the life of the church that Jesus Christ died for, right? You're not being involved. And we can't have every hour together. I can't meet with you every day of the week. So we set aside times to put together the plan for the accomplishing the Great Commission. And that's why we have all these meetings tonight. And that helps. Pastor Nathan will preach in here. I'll meet with those who have been trained in discipleship. And I've got really important things to go over with you tonight that actually tie in with the message today. So here, th- this is what we do. And I'm, I'm witnessing that. I'm witnessing that to someone else. I'm telling them what I've experienced from Jesus Christ. So the Great Commission includes, I'm going to go and I'm going to preach... I'm going to go and I'm going to teach. I'm going to baptize or be baptized. And then I'm going to teach to observe all things. And then I'm going to be a witness of it. I'm going to be a witness. All right? So I'm going to live out what we have been teaching. So that's how you pray for your church. 
Does that make sense? How are we going to pray for Grace Baptist Church? Pray that we are obedient to the Great Commission, that we honor the Lord Jesus Christ. That's helpful, isn't it? It's also a little convicting. It's a little, now, now we understand our responsibility a little bit more. So number one, how do we pray for our church? The last point under that is we must pray with understanding, informed prayer. Go back to Galatians. Now we're going to be informed about the ministry. We need to be biblically informed about the ministry. We need a biblically informed understanding of the ministry. What is it? Um, a lot of young preachers, they think that ministry is preaching the Word of God in the pulpit, studying it, and counseling people. That's what... That's our image of the ministry. When, when God was working on me, on my heart about preaching, I was in a church that would run about, there would be about 20,000 people there every Sunday in, in different services. And there was a 7,000 seat auditorium. And I was in the last seat of the auditorium. Literally. I was up against the back, in the back of the balcony, usually with a Louis L'Amour book or something. Okay? I was a spiritual giant at that point. So I'm, I'm all the way in the back. And I remember the preacher, he preached a message called The Blessed Hope, The Second Coming of Man. It's an interesting title, isn't it? And he went through the scriptures and he said, Come again, Abraham, you've lied. Come again, I'll use you. Come again, Peter, you've denied me. But I'm going to use you. Second coming of man. And he went through different examples of people who had messed up and Christ called them. And Christ had called me to preach when I was around 16. I knew from then on that I was supposed to preach. But it wasn't until I was about... I don't know, 2021, when this service took place, where I looked and I heard that message and I knew I was supposed to come. So I went down and I surrendered to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I made it public that this is what God's called me to do. And I remember the preacher looking down, he pointed at me and he said, it's about time. Because he knew that's what God had made me for. It's an inter interesting thing. But when I pictured that, I pictured myself standing up like he did. And I'll, I remember him standing with his hands like this and saying, come again. And he'd look at every section of this huge auditorium. Come again. That's what I pictured the ministry as. And then I found out that's only about two or three hours a week. That part of the ministry. What does the ministry look at? Many of you will never do that. How do you serve in the ministry? We need a biblically informed understanding of what ministry is. And the apostle gives it to us here by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We have five characteristics of ministry, that, and more than that, but we're going to identify five. Number one is in verse 11. Look at verse 11 with me. I'm afraid of you, and we're in Galatians chapter 4. All right, look at verse 11. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. So the first thing that we see ministry includes is labor. It's work. It is just work. The Bible says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they that labor in the word and in doctrine. Ministry is just hard work. It's what it is. It's hard. Look, at, it's hard to go. We have busy lives. We have busy schedules. Taking the time to go for all of you. It's difficult. It's labor. It's work. You're tired. You've worked hard. I know in, 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 during the school year in our Wednesday night Bible study, many times I look at people, it's your first time that you sat down and you sit down in those soft seats and some of you are asleep before the service starts. Why? Because you've worked hard. You've worked hard and now we're adding labor to that. The ministry is labor. Would you all agree with that? It's, those of you who teach Sunday school classes, it's preparation. It's labor. And it's hard to work with other people's kids. Sometimes you want to strangle the little rats, right? And you can't do that. Teachers, do not strangle your Sunday school students. But it's labor. It's labor, discipleship. It's labor getting together, isn't it? It's labor finding the time to get together. It's labor preparing that lesson. It's labor living the life so that you can be a witness of those things. It's labor, here's the hardest labor, holding your disciple accountable. Man, that's hard. It's, so what is ministry? It's just work. It's just work. This week, Laura and I were doing labor. Those bathrooms downstairs needed to be finished. And so we labored. I went outside and I hung the awning and then we went in and hung pictures and Laura scrubbed it all and cleaned it all. Why? 
because that's labor in the church also. It's physical labor. I appreciate Dr. Ree mowing the grass for us and caring for that, and Pastor Nathan caring for those things, and Gordon Allstead are caring for the, the, the grounds, and these people that they invest their time and their energy in this facility because part of ministry is physical labor. It's physical labor. Let's do this. How many of you, men or women, you helped on our bathroom projects, upstairs or downstairs? Stand up. If you had a part in it, stand up. Don't be humble. All right? Look at this. This is what it takes to accomplish these things. Thanks, guys. Sit down, ladies. I appreciate the labor. See, we had children involved, people all all different ages, anybody who wanted to help, helped. And that's how things are accomplished. And here's here's what happens with that. When I was out in Washington last week, that church had done two bathrooms. They had just and they brought a company in to do, to remodel their two bathrooms, and it was forty nine thousand dollars to have that done. We've done four. We added a complete bathroom. We did these, and we did the two downstairs for a total of about eleven thousand. Why? Why? Because you all understand labor, and we labored. That's what ministry is. It's labor. It's not only the labor of the Word of God, it's the physical labor of getting up and going and taking literature to someone else. It's physical labor. It's the physical labor of making sure the facility is prepared for people to hear the Word of God. Uh, We talk about this. I I say this to preachers as I'm traveling, and we have this here, Pastor Nathan and I and, and our workers. People will step up in class to go to church, but they won't step down. Well, it shouldn't be that way. Well, I ought to be 6'4". Okay? This is reality. This is reality. So that means that we don't need Taj Mahal, but the place has got to be clean. It's got to be presentable. The bathrooms have to work. The air conditioning has to work to minister in our culture. Would you all agree with that? How's that going to happen? That's your job. Man, if it's my job to keep the air conditioning going, we're in big trouble. Praise God for Jimmy Smith. Where are you, Jimmy? He's here somewhere. There you are. He, He can do that. Isn't that great? We have those things. That labor must be done. Ministry is labor. It's labor physically and it's labor spiritually. It's just hard work. How many of you have discovered that with discipleship? It's just hard. Laura and I are the only ones. The rest of you disciplers have been great. All right. Now, I've got to go faster through this or we're never going to be done. Look at what he, he labors. Then he deals with infirmity. Look at verse 13. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. Ready for this? Paul was sick. He had a physical malady. We have the indication that it was something with his eyes. We know that he was sickly in other ways. So he didn't feel good. Do you know what ministry involves? Doing God's work when it doesn't feel good. Just, man, I got a headache. I think I'm going to stay home. My stomach hurts. I just don't feel like it today. You know, we have people like Kathy Stilwell, who's here all the time, with cancer. Right? Sometimes it doesn't feel good to get up and get ready. Put your face on. Come to church. But you love the Lord. You see, it's ministering. It's ministering through infirmity. And our culture is there's a pill for everything. But there's not a pill to give you a love for Jesus Christ that will cause you to minister through infirmity. That has to be on purpose. So the ministry, the ministry, it's labor. The ministry is working when you don't feel like it. Uh, there's a, I read a biography of Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher from England in the 1800s. And Spurgeon was a physical wreck. Um, he had some kind of kidney disease. He was physically struggling all the time. And so as a result of that, he struggled with horrible depression. And he would be basically incapacitated for months at a time. And he had to work through that. What most people don't know is from the time, I think in his 20s or early 30s, his wife never heard him preach again. She was too sick to leave the house. But she started a ministry getting books to preachers. What was she doing? She was ministering through infirmity. What was Spurgeon doing? Ministering to people through infirmity. Imagine, Spurgeon had all kinds of reasons to quit. And yet, every week, every day of the year, someone reads something that Spurgeon wrote. 
Why? Because he's willing to minister through infirmity. How about you? What's, what keeps you from serving God? What keeps you from being faithful to the house of God? What keeps you from doing it? Oh, man, my toe hurts today. It is amazing how easy it is to get knocked off course, isn't it? It is so easy. Okay, so we're describing ministry. What is ministry like? It is labor. You'll do it through infirmity. Then look at verse 14. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, you despise not. So what's the next thing that happens? Temptations of the flesh. See, not only is it hard to minister because it's labor and because we get sick, but man, my flesh gets in the way all the time. If somebody comes to me, so we've done the bathrooms downstairs. Somebody will say this. I don't like the colors. And in my flesh, I want to say, have you ever noticed no one asks you style questions? That's, that's my flesh. Okay? That, that's what happens. And we have to understand. Come on, that was pretty funny, wasn't it? Here's the deal. In our flesh, our flesh is always going to get in the way. So, again, if I'm discipling Nick and he doesn't do what I tell him to, you know what I want to do? Okay. See you, loser. How many of you, honestly, you tell somebody one time, they don't listen to you, you're done. How many of you, that's your nature? That's why restaurants struggle so much in Sydney. You go there one time, have a bad experience, you're never going back and you're telling 20 people about it. <laughs> right? That's who we are. That's our flesh. We have to understand. We have to understand what we're getting into. My flesh wars against my spirit. That's what the Bible says. What God tells me to accomplish, my flesh gets in the way of that all the time. All the time. Um, give you my flesh as a preacher. I get mad about sin. I get mad about it. But my anger isn't supposed to be at you as I preach. That's ha How many of you have experienced that from me as pastor here? Especially in my early days, right? Just, I got mad one time because people weren't responding and I started screaming and banged on the pulpit. I'm sick and tired of your cold, dead hearts. And I think we had three families leave the church that day. Why? Because of my flesh. My, it, why should I be tired of the people's cold, dead hearts? First of all, I have no idea what was going on in those people's hearts. Amen? I, there were, I'm sure many people were responding in their hearts, which is where it's supposed to be. Right? But in my flesh, I got mad. And I was going to set them straight. I was going to fix you dirty, low-down sinners. That's my flesh. Hey, you've got a flesh too. Here's what your flesh might be doing. Boy, I'm not like that. I can't believe he said our church is that. I'm not like... Well, if you're not like that, praise God. Amen? You see how our flesh can get in the way? All right. So you're, gonna, you're, you're called to minister, and ministry is going to be against what you want to do. Would you raise your hand if you're shy? Would you raise your hand? How many of you are too shy to raise your hand? <laughs> All right. And you're still told to go. And here's what Jesus is going to do at the judgment seat of Christ. If I'd only known you were shy, I wouldn't have called you. <laughs> he knows our infirmities. He knows our flesh. He knows my frame that I am but dust. He knows everything about me, and he still told me to go. You know what else he told me to do? He told me to love you guys. I don't want to. <laughs> but he... And here's what somebody, somebody with mercy is just saying. I can't believe the preacher just said he doesn't want to love. I'm joking. You I might not want to love. But I'm still commanded to. Is that right? So what's going to get in the way of me loving that person? My flesh. My flesh. So what is your flesh keeping you from doing in service of the Lord? Ministry. I mean, now, how many of you think that this message so far is not a good advertisement for ministry? It, hey, come do this. This is really cool. It's really hard. It, you're going to be sick while you're doing it, and it's going to go against everything God has made you to be. Come on. All right, now, look at the next one. This is wild. He has become an enemy of people who once loved him. Look at verse 16. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Here's the thing. He's not the enemy of lost people here. He's the enemy of saved people. He's the enemy of saved people because he tells them the truth. And so what happened here? There were some people who used to love the truth and they loved him for telling the truth 
And now they're tired of hearing the truth. And they want to go back. Right? How many of you remember when you first got saved, how awesome it was? Yeah, then you found out God wants to change your life. That's not so awesome. The awesomeness left at that moment. And it's still awesome because He makes you right. He makes you better. You have peace. You have joy. It's amazing what happens. We'll fight against the truth for so long, and then we accept the truth, and all of a sudden there's rest. There's peace. But then your flesh comes up, and you want to fight it again. So He has become the enemy of people who once loved Him. So here's what's going to happen. If you go into ministry... And you start serving God. I'll use Nick again here. So Nick is enjoying discipleship until I confront his life. And now he's got two responses. Now again, my responsibility is to make sure my flesh doesn't get in the way as I instruct him about his life. Amen? Very important. If I'm a jerk about it, he's not responding to the truth. He's responding to me being a jerk. Okay? But when I confront him with the scriptures, and that's what discipleship is, part of it is confronting the behavior of your disciple. So as I confront him with his behavior, he has two choices. Look at his life, look at the word of God, and say either I'm in line with the word of God or I'm not in line with the word of God. Right? Those are the two responses. And so here's, here's what he's going to do. He's going to go on and press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Or he's going to say, I've counted the cost and it's too high. I'm going back to the world. Still saved, thanks. I want to go to heaven. I'm just not that interested in Christ changing my life now. Right? And so we have to understand that if we're going to be faithful to the Word of God, people that acted like they love us will turn against us in a minute. In a minute. And that's the next thing. Look at this. So we're looking at characteristics of the ministry. What does the ministry look like? He labors. He deals with infirmity. He has trials in the flesh. He's become the enemy of people that once loved him. And then look at verse 19. Look, it's getting better. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Okay, ladies, how many of you have had a child? Can you imagine having to do that over and over again until they grow up? That would be a bummer. Would you all agree with that? That's the way Paul describes ministry. Here's what ministry is. It's like giving birth over and over and over again. It's hard. And here's what, man, I didn't sign on for this. This is the ministry. This is what it is. It's hard. I'm going to, Lord willing, as I have the opportunity to preach to other preachers, I'm going to preach this. What did you think it was going to be? Oh, you're so great, preacher. Thank you. Thank you. I love you. Thanks for kicking me in the teeth today. It's not what the ministry is. It's not what the ministry is at all. It's very interesting. Travail. All right, so that's the biblically informed view of the ministry. Everybody ready to sign on? That's not. Now we're going to look at a biblically informed view of the people in the church. Let's look at this. There's five characteristics given in the text of that. Look at verse 9. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements? All right? So they're, they're turning again to the weak and beggarly elements. Here's what people do. As a pastor, I remember when I first became a pastor, meeting faithful people in the church and hearing of things they were doing and I, being raised the way that I was raised, I was shocked. Christians don't do that. I'm not going to give examples. I'm not going to do that. But I remember having those thoughts. What in the world is going on? And what I have to realize, and here's, what, here's one of the big things you need to understand in ministry. The nature of the new believer is the desire to go back to the world. Why? Because it's fun. Because that's where their joy has been. They think back on the old life, and that was great. That's the desire, to go back. We have to remember this. Your flesh will always be flesh. That which is born of flesh is... That which is born of spirit is... Your flesh will be flesh until Jesus Christ changes it at the resurrection. Until then, your flesh is always going to want to go back. Your flesh is always going to want to fulfill the desires of the flesh. I was with an old preacher one time, and this girl walked by that wasn't dressed right. A real pretty girl walks by, wasn't dressed right. And I watched him. 
And I saw this preacher do this. He looked the other way, which is what I was trying to do. And I said to him, I asked him this question, Brother, does it ever get easier? He just went, nope. <laughs> Why? Because your flesh is always going to be your flesh. And again, that flesh that we talked about a few minutes ago, that, that, that hurt feelings, the desire for more, whatever your fleshly desires are, we always think only of lust, but there's a whole lot more to your flesh than just lust. So whatever those desires are, you're going to have those until you die. So what's the answer? Look at Jesus. Remember Him. That's the way to keep going on. But these are the people that we're ministering to. Don't be surprised when people go back. That's what the flesh does. That's why we need the Spirit. That's the whole purpose of the book of Galatians. Quit trying to do this on your own. Live in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ because you've still got your flesh. It's still your enemy. So what do people like that we're going to minister to? They're going to want to go back. They're not going onward. They're not growing in grace. They're turning again to what the Lord Jesus Christ and the ministry of the Word has turned them from. That's number one. Number two, they're desiring again to be in bondage. You see that at the end of verse 9? Whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? Why in the world would a Christian want to be in bondage? Because they think it's fun. They don't realize the lure that the world has on them. What is, it that, what is the lure? What's keeping you out of church? Sports? Um... What, what? Fishing, golf, basketball, football, baseball, soccer, ballet. What is it that's keeping you away from serving God? It puts you in bondage. Then, look at verse 10. You observe days and months and times and years. What are they doing? What, what do church people, saved people, who've been called out of the world, what do they want to do? They want to go back. They want to go back to the celebrations that were so much fun before. Do you see that? That's, that's exactly what's going on. They, they have this desire to go back. They can't imagine living without what once meant so much to them when they lived without Christ, without truth, Without righteousness, they miss the vanities. Can I give you some examples? Uh, just the bar. We talked about that last week because they had some fun there. The dances, the, the concerts, the, 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 the life of the world that they enjoyed so much. It, it draws them back. The celebrations and the remembrances, the kind of parties that they had before. And we get wrapped up into it. Our family tradition is to do this. And when you get saved and you find out there are things in that family tradition that violate Christ, now your whole family's mad at you. And so it's easier to go back. How many of you know what I'm talking about on so many different levels? It's easier to go back. It's easier to go back. All right? So then they want to serve vanities. Then, look at this. You say, Pastor, if this is your advertisement for ministry, we need to understand what we're working with. Look at verse 14. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despise not, nor rejected. Now look at how they received him. As an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. I've had people do this. At the back of the auditorium, after they hear me preach for the first time, that was wonderful. That's the greatest thing I've ever heard. I love you. Look at verse 16. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Six months later, they hate me. If I was on Facebook, I guarantee you I'd have a lower opinion of myself. Right? Why? Because I tell them the truth. And while they love the communication, they hate the truth. Why? Because they want to go back. Why? Because people are fickle. They are fickle. And that's the old thing. Don't ever believe your headlines. Don't believe the good things they say about you. Don't believe the bad things they say about you. Just keep on going. Keep on serving Christ. Amen? Now, ready for this? That was number four. What's number five? People tend to yield to their baser influences. 
You see, the Apostle Paul wanted them to grow in grace. The Holy Spirit wants to make them like Christ. God the Father wants them to live like Christians and become Christians. And that's the desire of discipleship. Would you all agree with that? That's the whole goal of the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever the Lord commanded. But most people, that's not what they want. They want to go to heaven, but they don't want Jesus to get involved in their life here on earth. They want to keep their angel statues. I'm Christian. I'm Christian, even though that statue looks like nothing from the Bible. Right? There are people, I put that angel statue out there, a hurricane came through, and that's the only thing that was left. Okay. Great. Let's go get drunk. Right? Is that Christianity today? That's Christianity. They, they don't want to know what the Bible says about angels. They're not interested. They have a preconceived notion. And that's what all of us deal with. Now, here's the deal. Everything that I just described about church people, it's you and me. Don't you wish it was them? It's you and me. That's who we are. That's who we're ministering to. Do you think maybe we need Jesus Christ's help? That When He said, all power is given unto me, because here's the deal. I know what happens. There are people that are thinking, I would never. And then you do. Yeah. Why? Because you want to go back. You still have your flesh. We've got to walk in the Spirit. Then, we need a biblically informed understanding of our opposition. So it's bad enough that in ministry I have my flesh, it's all this labor, and then the people that I'm working for, they want to go back, they're fickle, they're going to love me one minute, hate me another, all that's bad enough. But there are people that want to facilitate that. They, they want to destroy this church. They want to destroy what we're doing here. And some of them are saved. How many of you have ever had, and you might not want to raise your hand here, but how many of you have ever had... Someone that's saved try to hinder you from taking that next step forward. How crazy is that? So let's look at the opposition. Look at verse 17. It's interesting. They zealously affect you. So let's understand these people that are coming against us. They are just as zealous for you going back as the Holy Spirit is for you going on. They really want you to go back. So why would they want to do this? Why would they want to do that? Well, not only does the child of God have internal struggles, struggles of the flesh and the old nature, but the believer will constantly be pressed upon by worldly and carnal Christians. Those of you who go to the Christian school, I want to warn you of this. And this is a danger. Bible college, I experienced it. I went to a Christian school. This was a danger that I, I'm witnessing right here. Okay, here's what you have. I'm surrounded by Christians. I can let my guard down. I can relax. Really, Yates, where are you? Man, that's a danger, isn't it? Isn't that a danger? Those of you who teach at the Christian school, you're surrounded by people who love Christ, and you think you can put your guard down. No, not every... Ready for this? Those of you who are in Sunday school at Grace Baptist Church, you might think... Man, I'm surrounded by people who love Christ. I can let my guard down. No, you can't. We've just described what believers are like. I guarantee you there are people in this church, and this would describe them, different types of opposers. The first group are those who want to go back themselves but want company so they won't feel so bad about it. Hey, come do this with me. I'm saved, and it's okay. Um... Uh, better not. I was going to give you an illustration of an experience that I had, but some of you might know some of them, and I won't do that here. I had someone say this to me. They were doing something that was obviously sinful, and I confronted them. And one of them said, I do this, and I'm not going to hell. Okay, so that's our standard, right? That's our standard. So understand, you kids... You young people who are around other teenagers at Grace Baptist Church, you're around other people at the Christian school who call themselves saved. Those of you who go to the public school, I know that you try to find friends who are believers in Jesus Christ, who go to other churches, and I'm glad those are the people you want to fellowship with. Those are the right choices to make. Would you parents agree with that? 
Those are the right choices to make. But we must remember that even among people who name the name of Christ, there are those who want to go back and they don't want to go alone. They want to take you with them. That's what socialism does. Socialism says it's for the poor, but they're not trying to raise the level of the, of the poor's living. They want to bring the rich down to the level of the poor so we can all be in misery together and the few people at the top can have the money. That's what this form of Christianity does. It brings everyone down to the lowest level, the lowest common denominator of Christianity. Those are the people. Those are the first group of opposers. There's a second group of opposers that are coming against you. Those who have a weaker form of Christianity. Those, a Christianity that rejects separation from the world. You know that we're not supposed to look like the world? Let's try that again. You know that we are not supposed to look like the world? Amen. Amen. But when you stand up and say that in this culture, people call you a legalist. No, I'm not saying you have to do that to be saved. What I'm saying is if you're saved, you're going to look different than the world if you love Jesus Christ. It's just all there is to it. A Christianity, this weaker form of Christianity, is a Christianity that's based on feelings and emotion, not the truth. I know it says, that just doesn't feel right to me. Well, of course not. Your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If you follow your heart, it will destroy you. Do you know what the Bible's supposed to do? It's supposed to confront your feelings. Christianity is going to violate the way that you feel. It's going to violate. Why? Because you have that flesh that's going to fight against you every step of the way. So people who have a weaker Christianity, a Christianity that's based on feelings and not truth, a Christianity that's not concerned with doctrine. I know the Bible says that, but... Um, when I wrote Why Baptist, I took it to a preacher friend, and I handed him this copy of Why Baptist. And I handed it to him, and he looked at it. And he said, i got two families in my church right now getting ready to get divorced. How's this going to help them? Throw it down. Okay, so the answer to families being divorced in your church is to stop teaching truth. That's the answer, right? No. Why? Because if Jesus Christ established the church, and did he? If Jesus Christ established the church and then he gave us instructions for how the church is to function and then he told us that our homes, listen, that our homes are to picture the church. If we don't know what the church looks like, how are we going to know what our home's going to look like? Is that just common sense? The, the, the key passage on the home in the Bible is talking about the local church. So, you know what? Why Baptist will help your home because it'll help you understand who the head is. It'll help you understand how are we supposed to live. It'll help you understand individual soul liberty. It'll help you understand who your high priest is. It's Jesus Christ. That doctrine is the frame that you hang your problems on. It's our authority. It's the truth. And so you have all these churches. They advertise. Come here. You're not going to hear any doctrinal sermons. They advertise it. That's where we are. Why? Your Bible has, uses the word doctrine, I think, 54 times. The NIV only uses doctrine four times. They change it. It's gone. Why? It's too hard. It's too harsh. A weaker form of Christianity. Oh, quit being hung up on those divisive issues. So, what is this weaker Christianity? It's a Christianity that rejects separation from the world. A Christianity. I went to a church in Michigan when we started coming up with ideas for advertising Grace Baptist. And it's the church that started this church. Church that I went to. It's no longer Temple Baptist Church. It's now Northridge Church in Michigan. And I look at some of their literature. And the picture for the home class, the, the young couples class, shows a girl showing her cleavage. And I looked at the preacher and I said, how could you put this out? He goes, oh, I never noticed that. Do we have any men in the room here? How many of you think he was lying to me? Yeah. yeah. Why? That's a weaker, baser form of Christianity. It's unbelievable. Then, a Christianity that is only concerned with peace and happiness. It's only... I had somebody say to me years ago, I never felt bad when I left church till I heard you preach. Okay. I wish I could make this message happier. I wish I could. But we're just preaching what's in... This is what Paul was experiencing in the church at Galatia. Would you all agree with that? 
That's what he was experiencing. And that helps us because it helps us define who are we ministering to? What does the ministry look like? And who are they who zealously, what does it say? They zealously affect you. And what are they trying to accomplish? Look at what it says. But not well, yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. Exclude you from what? From the church at Galatia. They want to get you out of that body. They want to get you out of that influence because you are bringing conviction on their lives. It's hard to be righteous. The Word of God spoken by any who desire your spiritual well-being is intended to bring you farther and farther and farther from the old life and the old vanities. What do I want for you? Holiness. Holiness. Now, have you noticed at a Grace Baptist Church, I don't stand up here and list a bunch of sins. Don't, don't do this. Here's a specific kind of clothing you're not supposed to wear. Here is a specific movie you're not supposed to go to. Here is why. Because then you'll just obey that list and think you're holy. What I say is, if you're holy, you're going to dress for Christ. If you're holy, the movies you watch will honor Christ. If you're holy, the music you listen to will honor the Lord. If you're holy, the doctrine that you hold to will align with the Scriptures and you'll love it and care about it. You see the difference? That's what we're trying to accomplish. The opposition to that preaching from within and without has its foundation in people who want to go to heaven when they die but are uninterested in being influenced by the Savior and His Word now. So that's where we are. That's where we are. Okay, now give me the good news. Here's the good news. The Holy Spirit wants you to go on. Jesus Christ has the power to take you on. He wants to bring you to perfection. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. That Jesus Christ is better than the world. Go on in the faith. Don't go back. Galatians, to those weak and beggarly elements of the world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father.